We've got to believe. We have to believe. As your faith is, so shall it be. Amen. Amen. We had an awesome event happen this past week uh, in, in, our, in our country, and um, I just want to take a minute and recognize we had Veterans Day on Friday. Um, gotcha, didn't I? <laughs> it's awesome. It's huge. Veterans Day on Friday. If you're a veteran, would you please stand? I want to recognize you. If you're a veteran, you served. You fought for our country. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If I'm not mistaken, I might get this wrong. Army? Army? Oh, rah! Don's in front of him. Army, Marines, thank you guys so much. Be seated. Can never discount or fail to recognize people that are willing to give their life for somebody else. Amen. Greater love had no one in this. Amen. That he would give his life for his friends. So thank you, veterans. Something else happened last week. We elected a new president-elect, and we were a, co- a country sharply divided, right? So let me say this. We elect a new president every four years. Sometimes you get what you want. Sometimes you don't get what you want. So wherever you are on that, be gracious. Pray for our president because that's what the Bible says to do, and be sensitive in your Facebook posts, right? There's power of life and death in the tongue and the keyboard. So use discretion. Make sure you're not hurting somebody else. Amen? I love Jesus, and I love all y'all. I'm glad to be here. We're blessed. Amen? We're continuing our blessed series today, blessed to share. Who likes to share? I got two hands waving back there. That's awesome. It's good that you like to share. If you don't like to share, well, you need to get on board and get with the program and decide that you like to share. I want to tell a story. It's been, I think, probably seven, eight years ago. We were in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was us and the Garrisons. We were having birthday dinner, my birthday. And if you've ever been to Joe's Crab Shack for your birthday, they don't just, you know, some places, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, they come put a sombrero on your head, they sing to you, give you fried ice cream. That's awesome. Or they come sing to you, and they have different versions, Roadhouse, you sit on a saddle, whatever. At Joe's Crab Shack, it was my birthday. And I had to stand in a chair and spell my name with my rear end. You can't get rid of that mental picture. It's there forever. Right? So I had to stand in a chair and spell my name with my, like, stick my rear end out. I'm not, I'm not going to do it again. It's one and done. All right? Like Calipari, one and done. So a lot of y'all didn't get that. Some of y'all did. So... Uh, I had to spell my name with my rear end. It was fun. Everybody laughed, whatever. I'm sitting back down. So our food gets there, and it's right in the middle of downtown Louisville, and we're sitting. Our food gets there. It's awesome. We're eating. And, and this dude walks in off the street. This is a true story. And it's, it's apparent that he's homeless, okay? So number one, there were no bouncers at the door because when you're eating is not the time to have somebody walk up to you for food, okay? So we're sitting there eating, and this guy's kind of getting closer to our table, and closer to our table. And before you know it, he's right at Andrew's elbow. And he's looking over Andrew's shoulder at his food. And we're having a conversation. And it's like trying, I'm not calling the guy a name, but it's trying, like, trying to ignore the elephant in the room, right? Because this guy's clearly wanting food. But it, none of us really know what to do. And the restaurant staff isn't helping. They're kind of watching him too. <laughs> They're just kind of like, what's this guy doing? And, and he's getting closer to Andrew's food, and he's like this, and, and Andrew's like this. 
And the, the closer the guy gets, the, the further his arm goes around his food. He's protecting his food because he didn't want to share his food. Right? We might all react way differently in that circumstance. All right? But it, it was awkward. And he's like, get away from my food. Get away from my food. He wasn't wanting to share. That's okay. Food is one of the things you either like to share it or you don't. You're like either, okay, I'm embracing it, and here's a fork. Give me your fork. I'll give you some of my food. If you know the person. If you don't know the person, they're just like trying to get close to your food. You're like, better get away. I got a fork. <laughs> Somebody's going to get hurt, right? So sometimes we like to share things, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes it's, it's very awkward. When we talk about sharing our faith in Christian circles, the word evangelist comes up. Who's ever heard that word before? Who's never heard that word before? Okay, a couple of you. An evangelist is somebody that goes around telling the good news of Jesus. It's, it's, it's really what we're all called to be, right? And it's, in our circles today, it's, it's sometimes the guys on TV or, or, you know, the guy that swings his coat and people fall out and that kind of stuff, um, that kind of craziness. I'll just call it what it is. But anyway, it, it, the, the, because of what's happened historically if, in some circles, if you don't know what evangelist is, good for you. If you do know, well, let's get past some stigmas. Right, Because sometimes the word evangelist can have some negative effect. In, in a, a book that was written out of 73 professions, evangelist was number 71 as far as respected professions. In integrity and honesty, it ranked lower than lawyers and car salesmen and prostitutes. The only people that ranked lower were drug dealers and organized crime. Pretty strong numbers. <laughs> and pretty sad, actually. It's not really what you want to be identified with. But if you're a believer, if you're, if you're not a believer, it can, make, it can make you skeptical of evangelists. It can make you skeptical of church and, and all things God. There's a guy right now in my life that's skeptical and even negative, like way negative, like very vocal negative about things of God. And he's not going to soften his stance toward God by what I say to him. It won't happen. His stance toward God is going to be softened by what he sees in me. Not what comes out of my mouth, but what he sees in my life, right? Sometimes stigmas have to be overcome by evidence, not by words. So it, if you're skeptical of, of evangelists, you know, that's, that's one thing. But if, if you are a believer, the word evangelist can make you cringe. Because when, when I was coming up and even in, in my young adult life, the word evangelism had a, a stigma to it because it brought guilt and fear in my life, Right? Because if you're a believer and have been for a long time, you know you feel kind of guilty when we're not adequately participating in kingdom growth and sharing Jesus with other people. And we can feel fear when the time comes to do it, and that creates a no-win for us. What if I messed up? What if somebody's rude to me? What if they have a, a, a bad dog? Or what if they had a bad experience? What if I'm too pushy? What if I say the wrong thing? I remember church evangelism. We had literature and door hangers, and we were ready to go, and we were supposed to pray before we go to every door, and sometimes I would pray at nobody's home. Just being real. I'm like, God, I hope nobody's home. I hope nobody's home. And so I can just hang my thing on the door and go and be anonymous. Right? So I was shy and embarrassed. So if you ever felt if you ever felt or feel insecure about sharing your faith, sharing Jesus with somebody, we're gonna help that today because we're blessed to share Jesus. We're blessed to share the gospel. In in First Corinthians, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Basically, he's saying, I feel like I owe everybody to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become a Jew 
to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I'm not. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. It's like Dr. Seuss again. To the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means... He's a BAM squad, by any means, right? By all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I become all things to all people simply means I find common ground with whomever I'm speaking, right? He said, if, if somebody has the law, I, I act like I have the law. If somebody doesn't, I, I'm, you know, I'm acting like I don't. I'm finding common ground with everyone I talk to. I find common interest so I can touch their lives. Why? Not to be like them, just to find a way to win as many people as I can to Christ, to increase the kingdom of God. That's the whole point of what we do for the sake of the gospel so he could share in its blessings. It's extreme sharing, right? Becoming all things to all people. So, so Paul's the first person that, that we're talking about here. He's like, he's like here's, here's what I do. I become all things to all people. We're going to get four, four more people. Everybody say four. four. Going to be quick. Four more people that, that shared in a very specific way. In John 4, talking about the Samaritan woman, then leaving her, her water jar. This is such a cool story. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And some of you are all like, no, keep him away from me. <laughs> like, I don't want to be in his room with him, right? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This unnamed woman, just the Samaritan woman, was drawing water at the well when Jesus came up to her and asked her for water. And a couple things wrong here. She was a three-striker. Has anybody ever been a three-striker in your life? You know the term? Like three strikes and you're out, you're done. You've been a three-striker, 12-striker, right? She was a three-striker. Number one, she was a woman. And women in that society were considered less than, right? In every way, less than. You didn't really have rights if you are a woman back then. Number two, she was a Samaritan, which if you read in other passages in the Bible, Jewish men thanked God they weren't these two things. They thanked God they weren't a woman. They thanked God they weren't a Samaritan, and, and that, that was two strikes. And then the third strike is she had been around the block. Literally had been around the block. So she had all these things going against her. No self-respecting man in that community would be seen with her in public. He might visit her otherwise, but he wouldn't be seen with her in public. And she's like, listen, this guy just told me everything I did wrong. He offered her living water, and then he asked, if you keep reading that passage, he asked for her husband. Now, this is Jesus who knew her when she was in her mother's womb, right? So he knew everything about her. He knew what she had done. He knew where she had been. He knew everything that had transpired in her life. And he asked her, woman, where is your husband? And she said, I don't have one. He's like, well, at least you told me some truth, right? He's like, true, you don't have one. You've had five. And, and the dude you're shacked up with right now is not your husband. 
So he laid her sin straight open before her and it was so amazed her that she went and was like, listen, you guys have to come see who I'm talking to. She left her jar there. Come look at what's going on. This guy just told me everything that's going on. She didn't knock on a door and say, have you come to a place in your life where you know if you die tonight, you'd go to hell? That happens, Right? It wasn't like that at all. She's like, you got to come see what's going on. This dude just told me everything I've done in my life, and it was awful, but it's great. She was excited about what was going on. She, she didn't, it wasn't formal evangelism. It was just simply sharing what was happening in her life. She was excited, and she said, you have to come see. Excitement is catching. Who, who in here in this room today, God is doing something amazing in your life, and you know it, Right? Yeah, so if God is doing something amazing in your life, that is your mission and your goal right now is to share what Jesus is doing for you, right? Excitement is catching. Somebody will come for miles around to watch a house burn down (laughs) or a car wreck. Somebody dents their bumper on the side of the road and it's a three-mile backup because people want to see what's going on. But if you want to explain how a house burns down, you're going to have a small audience. You can explain about Jesus all day and you're going to have a small audience. But if you tell somebody, dude, you're not going to believe what's going on in my life. That's different. You're just sharing your story with somebody and excitement is catching. So what's exciting about what God is doing in your life right now? Find that out, figure it out and share it with somebody. The Bible says that many came and made their way toward him. That's all he needs is people to come toward him. That's all we need. He needs his people to come toward him. You can do the same thing the Samaritan woman did because we all have skeletons in the closet that we don't want everybody to know about, but Jesus knows about them, and he's forgiven you those things. We've all got a story to share. Get excited and share the story. Let's talk about the blind man in John chapter 9. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself said, I, yeah, I'm, the, I'm the dude. I'm the one. I'm the man. How then were your eyes open? This dude was blind from birth. They asked, and he replied, the, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to, to, to Salome and wash, so I went and washed, and I could see. Well, first of all, if we go back and read the miracle, we'd be put off by that. Because the dude was blind from, from birth and he knew that Jesus could heal him and, and open his eyes. And Jesus spat in the mud, in the dirt, in the dust. He made a paste of spit and mud because he formed us from dust, right? That's significant. He used what he made us from to heal the dude. So he spit in the dust. He made a paste and put it in the guy's eyes and said, go wash. Yeah. Reminded of Naaman who said, like, I, I don't want to go down. I don't want to go in that water. I got cleaner rivers over here. Sometimes your miracle won't always look like you think it should. Sometimes your answer won't come wrapped in the package that you think it will. But the answer is the answer nonetheless. Jesus put the paste in the guy's eyes and said, go wash. And when he washed, he was healed. End of story. And this dude said, yes, I was blind from birth. I had an encounter with Jesus. He spit in dirt and he, he put it in my eyes and he, this miracle, I can see. He, his, his wasn't the, this, this happened to me. His, his was come, come and see what's going on. Right? He was a look what happened to me message. Look how Jesus has changed my life. I've been blind my whole life and now I can see. Look what happened to me. And this is something that all of us can experience. We have stories like that in here. We have healing of all sorts. 
People that should have been dead and you aren't. People that were broke and you aren't. People that were addicted and you're not. People that, that like alcohol or drugs or pornography or sex or whatever it is. And, and you were addicted to that stuff and now you're not. You have a story. Look what Jesus did for me. Let somebody come watch your house burn down. Right? Don't try to break down the scripture into four, into four parts and explain the Greek and the Hebrew. Just tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Let your fire catch to somebody else and let somebody else be excited like you're excited. We all have a look what God has done for me testimony. Maybe you don't have a horrible past to share. Maybe you weren't a horrible person. But maybe your story is one that was, you've been committed to God for years and look at the blessings that are flowing in my life. Use that story. Get excited about the provision in, God's life, in your life that God has given you. Get excited about what God has kept you from and how he's blessed you and share that with somebody else. Maybe you should share the story of why your life is blessed, not just the fact that it is. Share your story. And the third is very unlikely. She wasn't healed. She wasn't a sinner. She wasn't a horrible person. Her name was Dorcas. And in Acts 9, it simply says in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She always doing good and helping the poor. Right? Always, we have a Dorcas in our church. We do. Dorcas shared Jesus with people by performing acts of service, by helping them, by touching them where they needed it the most, in, in, in clothing and food and money or whatever. She, she helped people. She was so valuable to the kingdom of God and has such a rapport with people that God brought her back to life. Right? That's a story. She shared Jesus with people by serving them. Maybe you could share Jesus with somebody by serving them. You may not be able to sow like she did, or, or maybe, maybe you could cut somebody's grass. It's November. Who's seen the messages on Facebook about Thanksgiving baskets? Yeah, raise your hands. You have. Don't I, I can see who sees it. Right? We're committed to 30 people having dinner that wouldn't have dinner normally. Maybe you can serve somebody like Dorcas did by bringing a turkey. Or if you don't want to go shopping, what is it, 30, 40 bucks for a basket? 60 bucks for a basket. Bring 60 bucks and we'll do the shopping for you. That's easy. You can change somebody's life by serving them. Get involved in Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. Every week we send money out of here to put food in kids' backpacks on a Friday that won't have food over a weekend. We serve one elementary school in this county and we have others begging for us to come on board and we can't yet. Why? Because we haven't had people that want to be a Dorcas and share and serve somebody else. We need people to step up and say, I want to be part of this. I want to make sure a kid can eat on a Saturday when he wouldn't normally. Oh. Share Jesus with some. We're blessed, so let's share. We're blessed. So, so when somebody's 16, 17, 22 years old, I wonder where my food came from that showed up in my, in my backpack. When, when Nita came to my school on, on Friday and put food in my, where'd that come from? And, and if, if they find out, they found out that it came from somebody who was trying to share Jesus with them and, and they have an experience and their life has changed and you change a family who changed the family tree. That's how the gospel works. 
And it's not just by inviting somebody to the house of God. It's by putting some crackers and some applesauce in a backpack. It's by buying a 15-pound turkey and never knowing where it goes and not caring where it goes because it's God's at that point. It's about serving somebody because you're blessed. It's about sharing the gospel through a turkey or sharing the gospel through a juice box. It's about being Dorcas to the community. Do something for somebody without expecting something in return. Go cut somebody's grass. Do something for somebody. And the last person we're going to talk about is is Peter. He's more obvious. He was a disciple. He experienced crazy God moments. He walked on water. He's an obvious choice. He preached the the message in the book of Acts in chapter 2. He he preached that day. He was given the keys to the kingdom by Jesus himself. He's a very important dude. When somebody asks what they're supposed to do, what what should I do? He told them without hesitation, without bias, without insecurity. He had the answer and he shared it. He, He wasn't always as confident. If you look backwards a little bit, you'll find that when, when Jesus was about to be crucified, that people asked him, aren't, aren't you one of those guys? He's like, no, not me. Somebody else came up and said, right, yeah, I saw you with that guy. And he, he cussed at him. No, not me. He wasn't always the confident preacher. He was the insecure person that, that was nervous about being grouped in with the believers. That was me. I was always that person. I've told our church this before, but when I was in, in elementary and middle school, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night, four times a week. And, and my, it'd be, we, we went to church like 20 minutes from where we lived, and back then it was, the, it was like in uh, the early 80s at this point, and, yeah, I'm old, uh, early, early 80s at this point, and we had a car that was like a 1975 or 77 Oldsmobile, so it was like as big as this room. And it got like eight miles to a gallon of gas. So it's a huge car, and we had to get gas every day, pretty much. So I, I couldn't go casual to church. We had to dress up and go to church every service. So I'm in my dress clothes, my church clothes, and it's, it's like Tuesday night, Thursday, or Thursday night, and we're at the ga- I'm pumping gas because I pump gas for my mom. And, and I'm pumping gas in my church clothes, and my friends come up in their shorts and tank tops, and they're going to play ball. Where are you going? Shopping. <laughs> Why are you dressed like that? Mom made me. I was a hesitant sharer. I didn't want anybody to know I was going to church because it wasn't cool to go to church back then, right? I didn't want to get laughed at or made fun of or, or called names. I just lied. I was like Peter. I lied about going to church. I can't get any more transparent than that, y'all. It can't happen. But he was a hesitant sharer, Right? And, and it, was, it, was, it was a transformation that happened in him that emboldened him to be who God called him to be. And he shared with everybody he met. Right? We're blessed to share the gospel. We're blessed to share. Right now, I want you to do some. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Think about people in your circle that you know they don't know Jesus. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, people like you that you talk to at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or Panera Bread or wherever you go. Just think about everybody that you know right now. Those are the people that you, that you can share Jesus with in, in, in various ways. You don't have to dress in a certain outfit to go share Jesus with them. 
You share it through coffee. You share it through acts of service. You share it through, look what God is doing in my life. Or you won't believe what happened in church this Sunday. Or you, come, come help us in this community outreach that we're doing. You know, it, it, you, you need to get involved in this. You can open your eyes now. Who thought of somebody right then? Some of y'all wouldn't raise your hands if Jesus was in the room. <laughs> That's just how it is. You're like, not raising my hand. You all have somebody in your mind right now. I want you to pray this week that God would give you something to share the gospel with somebody, to share what's going on in your life, to share what God is doing in your life. Your, your, your story is going to help somebody know Jesus. Your story is going to help somebody find the freedom that they need, that you have. Your story is going to allow somebody to find their God-given redemptive purpose. Your story is going to let somebody know that they can make a difference because you're making a difference for them. This, what I'm about to say is very near and dear to my heart. I lost my mom in 2008. If, if I had the cure for cancer, would I share it? That's one thing in this life that I hate is cancer. And if I had the cure to cancer, you had better believe I would be getting it out as fast as I possibly could because I would want as many people as I could to be relieved from that sickness. We have the cure for the sin that entangles the world. We have the cure for what is going on in the world. We have the cure for what oppresses people, for what keeps them in slavery, for what changes their life for the worse. We have the cure for that. So how much more should we be willing? If y'all, this, this hits me right in the gut. If, if I had the cure for cancer, I'd be trying to be on TV and be trying to get as much backing financial as I could to get to the whole world. And that's just what's going to make somebody feel good in this life. I have the cure for this life and the next life how much more should I be saying how can I touch somebody's life today how much more could I impact someone's life in a positive positive way share we're blessed we're blessed to share Jesus with everybody that we come in contact with that doesn't mean you should walk up and tell them are you in a place where you know that if you die right now you're going to heaven or not hell no that's not how you do that it's by being present in someone's life by letting them see what God does in yours by serving someone and making a difference in somebody's life